Hello, and welcome to Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. It has been a while. It's been a while. I had promised you all that I would put out an episode at least once a month this year, and I have broken my promise. And for that, I'm sorry. I was looking for a full-time job for five months. Things have been really exciting for Purple Palm Press, a lot of, and it means a lot of new work for me and a different level of working. And so often I was prioritizing that over the podcast, but I um, foresee me prioritizing the podcast soon enough. Uh, Speaking of Purple Palm Press, our first major title is now available for pre-order called House of Our Queer, Healing, Reframing, and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Practice by Bex Mui. Uh, And instead of me telling you about it, I'm going to let her tell you about it. Hi y'all, I'm Bex Mui, she, her pronouns, and I'm a queer witch and spiritual organizer. I'm excited to tell you about my upcoming book, House of Our Queer, Healing, Reframing, and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Practice. I take readers on a winding path through my own spiritual journey, being raised Catholic by my Polish mother with Buddhist influences from my Chinese father. After moving to New York City for college and coming out, my break from the church was a formative time in my life I call the pain place. If you've also been raised with a religion that wasn't able to evolve with you, this book is for you. In it, I explain how I eventually reframed and reclaimed a spiritual practice for myself. In each chapter, I share a bit about my own current spiritual practices, including energy work, honoring ancestors, astrology and tarot, alongside reframed Christian practices. I end each chapter with offerings for what you can do to incorporate spiritual rituals into your own life. My hope is to connect with more people like me who understand queerness is a blessing. We're doing a special pre-release for House of Our Queer, Pre-order it now to get your copy November 22nd of this year, two months before it's in stores, and in time for queering up holiday gift giving. Go to purplepalmpress.com and pre-order your copy today. So you're probably thinking, wow, that sounds like an incredible book. And it is. (laughs) Um, If you are listening to this before July 2nd, I urge you to pre-order it from our Kickstarter. You can go to kickstarter.com slash profile slash purple palm press and you'll be able to find the uh, Kickstarter under that page. There are three beautiful posters. It's one poster, three colors that says queerness is a blessing. Those are available. There's tarot readings with Bex available. The posters will be available um, post the Kickstarter. So if you're listening to this after July 2nd, no worries. You can get those at purplepalmpress.com. Now, let's get to why we're here. We're here for queer discourse. Today, we are talking about Polysecure, Attachment, Trauma, and Consensual Non-Monogamy by Jessica Fern. This is a book that came out in 2020. Uh, if you're queer on dating apps, you've likely seen someone with a picture of this book. I definitely have seen it so many times. <laughs> so many people on Hinge. There's that like 
thing you can put like what I'm working on this year and it'll be someone holding a book of polysecure <laughs> holding the polysecure book um this is a polyamory book that uses attachment theory as like the main um lens for the book it's really interesting because uh, it talks about how attachment theory as it stands doesn't really um you know, create space for polyamory because a lot of parts of polyamory go against attachment theory because um, there's because attachment theory is um, based on monogamy, monogamous principles. And our guest today to talk about polysecure is friend of the pod, Elizabeth Harris. You may remember Elizabeth Harris from one of our episodes on pleasure activism. She is the creator of FIG, the band, and they recently put out an album called Soft Animal, which you can listen to on Spotify. You can find her at Fig New Tunes. Um, but this was a very robust, interesting, exciting conversation. And we actually recorded this back in like March or April of this year. And um, then I just sat on it. And so it's funny because both of us um, are in polyamorous relationships. And I know for me, I still probably feel a lot of the things I said in the episode, but also so much has changed since the episode came out. At the time, I had never experienced poly jealousy. And now I have. <laughs> now I know what that feels like. And I've also navigated more. I don't know, I, I think things that are pretty common experiences for people who are polyamorous um, from what I've read and from people I've had conversations with, but are all things, you know, I had an experience when listening to the show. But something that still sticks out for me is the S in hearts, an acronym that Jessica Fern has. And we'll get, we'll, we get into that in the show, but really like working on your relationship with yourself and um, the partner I mentioned and I are still together. <laughs> it's been almost six beautiful months. Um, and right now I'm doing a lot of, um, because of the way our schedules are, I we're not spending as much time together. And so I'm reconnecting with myself a lot. I'm going to the movies. I'm making beautiful dinners. <laughs> and I'm doing these things that are helping me feel, feel fulfilled in um, my romantic relationship and, and in my friendships and in work, etc. So this um, intro is already too long for Coley. So I'm going to wrap it up here. <laughs> And I've said everything I need to say. Uh, this is a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Please like, share, rate, review the podcast. Uh, it really helps. I really want I want to give more time to this. And I want more people to listen to it, you know? <laughs> and like something that helps me prioritize it is knowing that you prioritize it. <laughs> Okay, uh, with that, thank you again for listening. Enjoy the show. Hello, my name is Elizabeth <laughs> Harris. <laughs> I am, um, I guess, I'm 27 years old. I'm a music <laughs> therapist. I'm a, a singer-songwriter and music teacher. And... I said this to someone the other day, like, I'm a self-help whore. Like, mm. I love self-help shit. <laughs> so that's um, a while, also why I'm here. 
today to talk about Polly's care. And I also, um, I am in my, like, fuck around and find out era of my life, I feel. And I am, like, at a point where I feel extremely well-read about things, but, like, somewhat still inexperienced. So I'm trying to act more on the experiences now that I have all this knowledge. Um, so that's just a little bit about me and my journey of, like, things. I feel like the last time that I was on this podcast, I was in a completely different point in my life. Mm -hmm. And, like, in so many ways, in, in practicing, in relationships, in my own, like, views about myself and my identity and sexuality and everything so it's really cool to be back and be talking about something that's very that's kind of similar like the last time we were talking about pleasure activism I feel like polysecure is kind of like a subset of of pleasure right we're we're delving into like different kinds of relationship models and different kinds of romantic and sexual experiences and it's cool to be able to like branch off of like our last conversation and into something like more specific because pleasure activism was very broad. Mm-hmm. This is a very specific part of pleasure that I'm excited to talk about. Wow. What an A plus introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so happy to have you here. I think it's interesting that you started with your age. <laughs> You're like the first first thing you said I'm 27 I feel like 27 has just been a big deal for me so I'm like I'm 27 yeah (laughs) yeah that makes sense late 20s I mean 27 feels like on the brink of things I think that's true I feel like I'm on the brink of a lot of things right now Mm -hmm. like just in terms of like deciding what I want for my life and like where I want to be in the world and like how I want to grow my business or like Mm -hmm. etc etc like do I want to buy a house do I want to have kids like 27 is like Mm. Mm -hmm. it's a big deciding age I feel that's true that's true I think I agree with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) 27 is when I started, was it when I started Purple Palm? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically I was 26, but three weeks later I turned 27. <laughs> so I was like, right, right at that time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, you already know me and the podcast already knows me. So yeah. I'm Lou. <laughs> Good to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Lou. Uh, I'm a woman. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> um, it was really funny. My coach, after our last coaching call, sent me like the Calendly link for sessions. And he was like, here is the Calendly link for you, comma, a woman. <laughs> As a joke. <laughs> oh, funny. my God. That's so funny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we're talking about polysecure, attachment, trauma, and consensual non-monogamy by Jessica Fern. Um, Hell yeah. So I think it'd be cool to just sort of 
I don't know, describe describe the book a little bit, give an overview. So it's a book. It's the newest. I think it's the newest unless like a newer one just came recently came out. But like the newest like poly book that's well known. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in 2020 and possibly 2021. But it focuses on 2020 focuses on attachment theory when it comes to polyamory. And in the beginning of the book, they kind of set up how attachment theory as it is doesn't really like include polyamorous relationships and if you just look at like attachment theory how it's regularly described a lot of polyamorous relationships would be seen as like insecurely attached or like not attachment based relationships um so this sort of gives like a model of how to how to like support our attachment systems whether we're avoidantly attached anxiously attached fearfully avoidantly attached or securely attached within polyamorous relationships and I thought it would be cool to set up so we both read this because we're both practicing polyamory in some way and toward the beginning they talk about that thing of like is polyamory an identity for you or like an orientation or a lifestyle that's the two Mm. right yes and I thought it would be kind of cool to share if you don't mind we'll both share what it feels like for me us and for me I'll start it honestly feels like an orientation like Hmm. it's sort of surprising to me that I didn't finally start practicing polyamory until like the last six months but as you know and friends know I was like reading about it and really interested for years but just wouldn't take the leap you know Hmm. but even when I was in monogamous relationships I would still flirt with people outside of them not that like flirting really like means anything but some was, people think it does though yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true some people think it does um but I just was like always I noticed like the the moment I got in a relationship I was like oh my god but there could be someone else out there like immediately was like feeling that you know which I think is like something sometimes people feel in monogamous relationships even if they're not like polyamorous you know uh but I just Yeah, for me, it feels really natural to develop connections with multiple people, um, especially sexually. I haven't gotten to a place where I have two like ongoing intimate or serious relationships um, or two or more. Uh, I do think that's something I'm capable of. Right now, it feels um, like I like the structure of like having a primary partner. And that feels like something that will likely be like a standard for me. Um, But I could see myself still having like a partner who I see at least once a week or once every other week. Who's like, I, you know, who's still like a strong connection. Um, And yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately because when I read the book, I was thinking more that it was like a lifestyle choice for me as opposed to my orientation. Um, But I have been in relationships in which I do get that feeling of, like, what if there's someone else out there? Like, but it's usually, like, after about, like, a year and a half of dating someone, and Mm. I'm, like, either, like, the connection feels stale or, like, something is awry in the relationship, and I'm, like... I could have something else or like something else could be like 
bring me more joy or like be more right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that is like a testament to my orientation as it is to like a that those relationships probably just weren't right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm still trying to figure out like mm-hmm. whether or not it's a lifestyle choice or an orientation. I do feel really, uh, really empowered to be able to explore other relationships while having a primary partner. Um, I love flirting with people. I'm a Libra moon, Libra rising. <laughs> and like, I feed off of that a lot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that, I, like, like fuels me, like, to a point where, like, I don't know if I need anything beyond that. Like, that feels very satisfying to me. So, mm-hmm. but I do really like experimenting and exploring different kinds of relationships with people now that I am, like, in an open relationship and able to do that, mm-hmm. which I never was before. So, I have always disliked the feeling of being like suffocated in a relationship in which some of my friendships like I wasn't allowed to engage in because my partner was upset that I had that friendship that it was like too threatening for them Mm -hmm. for me to like have a friendship with someone and I never want to go back to that like (laughs) I never want to be in a situation in which like I can't spend time with someone that I really care about because they feel Mm -hmm. a certain way about them yeah um but right now I'm choosing this for myself for sure Mm -hmm. I and I follow like some polyamory um Instagram accounts and Mm -hmm. one of them was talking about being ambi-amorous what does that mean so meaning that like you can fluctuate between being polyamorous and and monogamous Mm, mm -hmm. and I mean that kind of feels like what's right for me I don't know Mm. yeah I really hate (laughs) defining myself right right as a sexually fluid person and a like a gender fluid person like Mm -hmm. I'm like all right ambiamorous let's go (laughs) like 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 just throw me on a plane right in space like that's how I feel like I I don't know if I can really define like what it is for me but at this point in time I'd say like it's it's a choice that I'm making yeah it's I don't think it's natural but I don't think it's natural because we're so like surrounded by monogamy Mm -hmm. that we are raised in that way to like societally understand monogamy as like the template Mm -hmm. and so it's a, it's a mix of, like, trying to figure out how much of it is unlearning and how much of it is, like, what I want. Right, right. Because I've been in situations where I, like, could romantically or sexually explore with someone or we could just be friends. Mm-hmm. And either one, like, feels good to me. Mm-hmm. Like, as I, like, having a connection with someone like is so important to me on so many like other levels that like the romantic or sexual aspect of it doesn't like if it's there cool I'm like into it but if it's not there like 
it's cool for me too. Like I, I just like really like connecting with people and finding out like what they think about like life and what they want to do and their create and their creativity and just like so many things about the people that like the added romantic or sexual component like I could give or take mm-hmm. but I'm trying to push myself to explore that aspect because I have a lot of friends you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> like if I can have like other kinds of relationships and uh, that take on different forms I'm ready to explore that yeah 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 that makes sense um yeah I feel like the way like I think about like how I was in high school and and a little bit in college but like polyamory felt like because the book also talks about what is your like why or like having a why um and I feel like mine a lot of it is sexual or definitely like started as sexual and I think about in high school I was having threesomes and I was having this like different experimental sex and in high school it felt like I either could have experimental, cool, interesting sex. I don't know that it was that cool or interesting. I was like 15, but. <laughs> or I could have a relationship and be loved. Like it didn't feel like I could have both at the time because we were young and it was like monogamy or else. Um, or like monogamy or you're a slut or whatever. And at the time I didn't want to be a slut. So, um. so then it was like discovering polyamory it was like I had like an option to you know have both I could have like the fun and interesting sexual experiences and I could be Mm -hmm. loved and have like a safe base you know and then so then over the last few months that has been like a lot of my drive I actually did not I mean I'm I have a primary, a prime time right now. <laughs> uh, but that was like not my intention to find that. I mean, I'm very glad I did. Um, but then it's like outside of that, there's an interest in, you know, having different sorts of sexual relationships that usually I wouldn't. Like it's like when I was monogamous, you know, you're just, I'm like, okay, let me find someone that I'm super sexually compatible with since this is the only person I'm going to have sex with. So they have to be like a perfect match sexually, you know, mm-hmm. which like you don't always find. And then it was like, but then I couldn't get those needs met outside of the relationship. I'm trying to lean into like allowing myself to potentially explore more sexual relationships. Yeah. And I will say that like having having a primary partner while I do that makes me feel a lot safer about having those experiences. Yeah. Cause it doesn't feel like I'm navigating them alone. Right. So it makes it feel less scary. Right. Um, and as I continue to like explore relationships with people, I'm like unpacking a lot of, obviously hangups that I've had around sex in general Mm -hmm. and exploring polyamory in its forms, I feel like has allowed me to feel safer having sex with people, Mm -hmm. which is now opening up my, my ability to potentially just have sexual relationships with people. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is really cool because once you start to feel like connected to people in a way that is like compassionate mm-hmm. and you're having a, like a sexual element there like I feel like I have like unlearned a lot of shame that I've had around sex mm-hmm. and having people that I feel safe with in sexual experiences has kind of taught me that like it's not as scary as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I also feel a lot more like in my power mm-hmm. and a lot less shame or I guess it's fear. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was afraid of my body for a long time and afraid of like desire and afraid of what my body would do if I let it do what it wanted to. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. All my repressed Catholic gays say yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, sweet. So to bring it back to like some of the specifics of the book. So the book talks about attachment. I am more on the anxious attached side. How about you? So am I. Okay. (laughs) So am I. But I'm also finding out that if I'm with. If I'm with someone who is also anxiously attached, I tend to be more avoidant. Mm, I've noticed that as well with the relationship like, I had in the summer. Go ahead. Yeah. So if if I feel like someone, and I don't know how much of this actually also goes into like, like being in an extremely codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. That makes me, like, when people start, when I can feel someone starting to be attached to me and I don't feel necessarily the same way, Mm -hmm. it freaks me out because then I feel like, oh my god, they're getting attached to me. Oh my god, they're going to be dependent on me. Mm -hmm. I can't handle this. I can't do that again. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So I feel like when someone, when I can tell someone's starting to get attached to me but is anxious about it, Mm -hmm. I start to get avoidant. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I think for me avoid like doing things that are avoidant is like more unfamiliar territory. So then sometimes when I'm when it's happening, I'm less aware of it versus mm-hmm. more like anxious attached sort of like manifestations like however that shows up, I feel like more checked into it, you know, mm-hmm. like that I can kind of see what's happening. But right. I mean just even a few months ago, I had something like sort of starting with someone and it felt like the intimacy was increasing or accelerating like way faster than I was comfortable with. So then I just started like checking out and detaching, um, mm-hmm. but like wasn't really communicative with the person, which was not kind um, and something, you know, that I like took away from that, that I don't want to do that typically. But I think in the moment, the way I was reacting felt totally normal. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't feel like I was doing something that was like, it didn't feel like I was being avoidant. It felt like I was reacting normally to something abnormal that was happening. Whereas that's right. not real, really true. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you for recognizing that and saying it. Thanks. Cause it's hard. Mm-hmm. I have been just swimming in vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I mean it feels really good you know but 
I'm like getting better at better at like just like I don't know like yeah I was like thinking about this with the person I was dating I'm dating but just like I like creating space for someone I'm with to be able to share something that's like difficult to say or you know isn't rainbows and daisies or whatever (laughs) and like I also want to create that space for myself to say Mm -hmm. things that are like imperfect or to be imperfect Mm -hmm. you know because I am (laughs) um but yeah so this book was really cool for that and something I wanted I thought I would read that's like near the beginning that I really liked about like thinking about attachment as a spectrum says conversely labeling or receiving a diagnosis can also confine us into rigid categories that may restrict our sense of self or obscure the fullness of who we are labels Mm -hmm. can easily keep us stuck in the mindset of this is who I am and so this is who I will continue to be instead of seeing ourselves as someone who struggles with anxiety we see ourselves as anxiety itself Instead of Mm. seeing ourselves as someone who is battling depression, we see ourselves as depression itself. So when reading about attachment styles, please identify with what feels useful and please be mindful of rigidly identifying yourselves or others. We are more than the problems we face, Um, which I love. I mean, that's like sometimes one of my gripes with some of what I see in like mental health culture anyway, Mm. but that's like a different conversation. (laughs) But like... (laughs) I really like that. I mean, because what you and I were just talking about is like we're more on the anxious side. However, we've both at different times experienced a more avoidant attachment, you know, Mm -hmm. and like with all of these things, it's like they talk about earned secure attachment and like the ability to like through time and practice become a more securely attached person. And I think that's like really useful too to not think of these things as like I am always like only this and I can't move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you I think agree about that? I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that, like, as I said before, in terms of, like, all the other ways that we choose to identify ourselves, especially, like, in, as queer people, like, having to be, like, I'm, I'm a lesbian or right. I'm bisexual or I'm this or I'm that or I'm poly and blah, blah, blah. Like, I can't. I can't put myself into a box like that. Right. Because I've seen the ways that I've changed so much. Right. In the last seven years that I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what I'm going to feel next. I don't know who I'm going to be next. So identifying like on a spectrum of things or identifying like as like in 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 between or like Mm. as things come to me or as I'm experiencing them is like the only way I can really connect with with identity in that way right right and so I don't really see myself like as anxiously attached Mm -hmm. I'm like oh this is like a this is like a result of me having this anxiety, having this, Mm. like, original anxious attachment Mm. because I have seen myself be avoidant. Mm. 
Right. So it's kind of just like experiencing everything fully as it's coming. Mm -hmm. And then being able to like parse through it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think about I've had some relationships where I've felt like extremely anxiously attached. Like it's Mm -hmm. like the, you know, behaviors and the I don't want to say symptoms, but the feelings that I'm are like coming up all the time. It's just like really intense and constant. And that's usually been then the person I've been with in those situations is extremely avoidant. Like it's just Mm -hmm. like the very extreme of both of those things. But then I've had relationships where I felt more like more secure and like more Mm -hmm. sort of like fluctuating between like secure and anxious, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like closer to that now. And it's like now I feel like I'm getting it better that like those relationships where I've felt very anxiously attached, it's like they were really insecure relationships, like Mm. for both me and that person, you know, like they weren't like, that was like, we were both, you know, (laughs) like it like wasn't working. Like if we weren't, I don't know, communicating, you know? So it's like having like a more, having more stable relationships and connections. Then it's like, if I'm feeling that, it like feels more like there's a reason like whether that's like has anything to do with like that other person or just like something's coming up for me you know that maybe I just like need to like say or get some reassurance or whatever Mm -hmm. but it's like something that's like more easily helped soothed yeah you know yeah for sure and that doesn't even go into like whether or not the other person in the relationship is aware of their attachment style. Right. Right. Because there could be things at play that they aren't even aware of. Right. Right. That's true. Which I will say in my case, it's been really helpful to be like primarily dating someone who is aware of their attachment style and is like self-aware of when they're like leaning more into that or whatever and Mm -hmm. can talk about it. You know, I think it would be difficult for me to be real with someone who wasn't as like tuned in. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what was something in the book that you really liked? Mm, My favorite part of the book is when she talks about hearts in chapter eight. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I just pulled it up. The hearts of being polysecure. So it's it's kind of like a, I mean, for lack of a better description, like a checklist. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know I love a checklist. You know I love a prompt. You know I love like any kind of like exercises. Mm-hmm. So I like really appreciate that she added those in there. But um. She says, um, now that we've, oh wait, Mm, okay, I want to focus on some more specific things you can do to cultivate being polysecure in your multiple relationships. I've combed through the literature on the conditions needed to create secure attachment in adult romantic relationships and considered what I've experienced and witnessed in the polyamory partnerships that I've counseled. 
The result is the acronym HEARTS, which I use to encapsulate the different ingredients, skills, capacities, and ways of being required for secure functioning in multiple attachment-based partnerships. So the H of HEARTS is HERE, being here and present with me. The E is expressed delight. The A is attunement. The R is rituals and routines. The T is turning toward after conflict. And the S is secure attachment with self. And she goes into detail about each of these like um, little skills, I guess, or ingredients, as she says, and talks about what they mean and then gives you questions or um, things to think about in your own relationships to try to um, basically live out that that skill with your partners. Mm -hmm. I also love that. Express delight makes me think of a kid who's like (laughs) excited. (laughs) Oh yeah I loved um I loved that part. What what did she say? The beam gleam? Mm, mm-hmm. Which is essentially just like giving your partner eyes. Like mm-hmm. the beam gleam, also known as the attachment gaze, um, refers to the nonverbal expression of warmth, kindness, and love that radiates from our eyes, letting our partners know they're special to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like I love that yeah it's cute yeah yeah I really like I really liked the part about attunement I feel like that feels like really important for me I mean they all feel important it's like her like point is that they're all important (laughs) (laughs) um and the ritual routines is cute it like made me like want to develop more rituals I have a friend who has a breakfast ritual with her primary partner and I was like oh my god that's so cute and she's like you know it's like just breakfast but I'm like but it feels cute (laughs) because because the word ritual is in it Um, rituals are cute and the turning towards after conflict like I think that was something that was missing from my younger relationships Mm -hmm. was conflict would happen and then it would be like a lot of detachment after and not Mm -hmm. being able to like come back you know but I think that's like part of just like being young. I mean, I'm still young. I'm only 30, but uh is like you know, like like getting used to like things aren't always perfectly resolved, but you know, you just like work through it the best you can and then you keep it moving and then, mm-hmm. you know, bring it back to intimacy and the connection. But I think that that used to be difficult, but I think she like sort of talks about that in the beginning how that's like something that can be difficult with attachment is like bringing it back after something difficult. Um, yeah, but I was, I really liked that part too. I think that that's, I mean, again, right. They're all extremely important, but I feel like some of the other ones like come more naturally like being present with each other Mm -hmm. trying to attune to one another like expressing delight with one another those come more naturally whereas turning to each other after conflict does not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's a really key component of like how do we resolve conflict Mm -hmm. with one another yeah 
Um, and like my partner and I really like are able to turn toward each other after conflict, Mm -hmm. which is like, if I feel like if we didn't have that, it would be really difficult to be able to bounce back. Yeah. Um, and obviously like all the other components help to like give that buffer of like to support turning to each other after conflict. Yeah. Right. Because I know that you're attuned to me. I know that you're like understanding like how I'm feeling about a given situation. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that you like are trying to be present with me when like things are hard. Right. So those, I think the, the H E R, right. Mm -hmm. H E A R support the T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think if you don't have that, like the turning towards after conflict, then conflict seems like a lot scarier or something you want to avoid more. Like if conflict is going to mean you don't talk for a week or like you avoid each other or you don't connect for a while after, it's like why would you want to experience that, you know? Exactly. And if – if the conflict is also like surrounding polyamory itself, mm-hmm. right? That makes it feel even more unsafe if it's difficult to bounce back after the conflict if you're both trying to orient yourself yes. around different kinds of relationships because that's gonna cause conflict. Like there's going to be hard conversations that you're gonna have to work through with that being polyamorous and if you don't if you aren't able to do that that is a really difficult connection to continue yeah yeah something I'm always or not always but have been thinking about is like I don't want to like not date like other people because I'm like worried it's going to upset the person I'm with you know which is like something um you know, and that's like to me, that's like a self responsibility thing. Is like, if I want to date, then I keep dating, and then we just talk about it. You know what I mean? Um, right, but that's also like an anxious avoidant, thing. like an anxiously attached <laughs> thing, right? Is to what? Is to worry that like the things that you're doing are going to upset oh, your person. Yes, yes. Well, and that's like something. I mean, this is like sort of a separate thing, but something I've thought about thought about while reading this and in general since like practicing polyamory is that I think it's been a really good structure for me to work through attachment style stuff um because I think when I was dating monogamously and just focus on dating one person it's like the smallest things would cause like a lot of like fear that it was going to end and then oh my god that I'm going to be alone or like then it was like like a lot of like more fear of the lack stuff Whereas it's funny because right now, I mean, I'm definitely connected to one person. Like I'm not like strongly connected to multiple people right now, but because I have the freedom to build connections with other people, it's like, I don't feel as much of like a, like, oh my God, this has to be perfect all the time Mm -hmm. or like nothing will be okay. (laughs) Or like, and I'm, I've also been thinking a lot about how, um, the stuff about with the tank anxious tanxious the stuff with anxious attachment where it's like you start taking on characteristics of your partner or doing a lot mm-hmm. of things that they like to do or like like the like loss of sense of self mm-hmm. 
And that's something that I, I feel like I have experienced in previous relationships more than I like was really aware of at the time. But I think about like my one partner who, after I became sugar-free, gluten-free, like I like mm-hmm. made a joke, <laughs> like I made a joke to my roommates the other day because I said that I was like reintroducing gluten into my diet. And then I was like, you know, I was like, gl- I said I was gluten-free after dating someone who was, and I was like, I just like love adopting the eating habits of whoever I'm sleeping with. (laughs) (laughs) I just do like, and I dated someone who had a peanut allergy and I convinced myself while we were dating that I had a peanut allergy. It's like funny that it's like, (laughs) and then I didn't eat peanuts for the first like three or four months we were broken up. And I was like, I actually think I'm I'm not allergic to peanuts, but <laughs> I but I don't know why it comes up with food a lot specifically, but that's something I'm thinking about now that I'm more aware of it. It's something that I'm trying to be more aware of if I start to feel it happening. Mm-hmm. You know, if I start to like like if I start to like dislike things that are really important to me because they're like not important to the person I'm dating. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I feel like I don't know something about polyamory um, has been like a good place to like do that, to like oh, yeah. pra- practice that. Well, again, it feels it feels safe because you have a foundation like like if you have a primary partner, it feels safer to explore, at least in my opinion, when what was she talking about? Like, um. A safe ba- was it a safe base or yeah, a safe I so. haven? I think she or, uses both of those words. Yeah, and the differentiation between that I felt like was really interesting in the book as well because you can have. I think it was a safe base and then something haven. I don't know where it is. I wish I could find it. Um. But having, like, different kinds of, like, I don't want to be, like, solid solidity, but kind of, like, like solid foundations with people mm-hmm. can, like, help you feel more secure in yourself, in your relationship, but mm-hmm. then also, like, in pursuing other relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you holding? Oh. It's like a little uh, finger exerciser thing for guitar. <laughs> oh! But I also like use it as a fidget thing, so it's like double duty. Oh, how I've never heard of that. It's a fi- it, like it helps your like br- build dexterity, like for when you play guitar. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> Do you notice a difference? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. How long have you had that thing? I just recently got it, but I I had one when I initially started playing guitar mm-hmm. because my dad just had like a fuck ton of exercise rando exercise equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just recently got one because I recommended one to one of my students, and then I was like, I should have one of these because mm-hmm. I'm like always fiddling with something, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I might as well be fiddling with something that's like helping me. <laughs> craft (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense what do you think about like 
hierarchy, hierarchy stuff. Well, so I was going to say there's a part I have underlined here. Um, <laughs> the, face you the takeaway message here is not to abolish all relationship hierarchies or shared bank accounts, but instead for people to procure secure attachment from their relational experiences instead of their relationship structures. Mm. Which I don't know, I don't remember what she's like responding to that she's saying that. Um, well, I think there was a part where she was like, she was saying like, you can have hierarchical polyamory, but mm-hmm. I do warn against this because you're going to get into situations where that's going to basically bite you in the ass, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I don't really see it as hierarchical. Like I see it as there are just like different kinds of relationships that you have with people. Mm-hmm. The reason that we see it at that, the, not even we, like mm-hmm. we as like the universal we, like mm-hmm. that, like society sees it as hierarchical is because we've already decided that if you have a house with someone, have kids with someone, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like that is that puts you above other relationships. Mm-hmm. If you ha- if you share your life in certain ways, mm-hmm. that supersedes other relationships, which isn't true. Mm-hmm. That's just an element of your dynamic in that mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, it's. It's all about, like, the perspective with which you come to the situation with. And if one of your partners, like, feels, like, threatened by the fact that, like, you live with your other partner, Mm -hmm. like, that is on their own perception of what they've determined is important or, like, more serious than other relationships, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But you can't live with all of your partners. I mean, some, some people probably do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, like, it's not, like, common for, like, everyone to be able to do that. Like, mm-hmm. not everyone can have that experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, the ways that you operate in relationships I don't think should be definitive of what has more, like steak yeah or whatever you know that makes sense I want to like I gotta like chew on that some more because I hadn't really thought about it that way um in the in the sense that like just because you live with someone or just you know because relationships are different doesn't mean they're hierarchical I hadn't thought about that a lot of what I kept thinking about is like I'm fine with hierarchy I don't know that was like I mean, I'm kind of fine with the hierarchy, (laughs) too, but I don't, I think the way that in the book they say is, is troubling is Mm -hmm. if, like, you have plans with one of your partners and, like, your nesting or anchor partner, like, your primary, Mm -hmm. is like, oh, let's go do this, and then you ditch the person you already had plans with for your primary partner, like, obviously that's gonna like right fuck things up but that's right. just like you're fucking like things up like, yeah yeah I know right I know I agree it's just like being kind of like a dick or 
Yeah. Like yeah. she mentions, I don't, I don't remember if it's her or if it's um, the people in the introduction re- mentioned the art, an article that came out called like the secondary bill of rights or something like oh, that. God. And I've been, wa- <laughs> <laughs> and I've been wanting to read it and I just like keep forgetting I meant to read it before this. But yeah, like I think, I think it makes sense that it's like, if you have a primary relationship, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like you have an excuse to just be like a shithead to everyone else you're dating, mm-hmm. you know, but that, yeah, feels like, I mean, that feels like, what am I trying to say? Um, like just like practicing healthy relationship skills with like everyone you're dating, mm-hmm. not just whoever you're primary with, but yeah, like. I feel like my reaction to some of the hierarchy stuff was like that I feel like there's things that become, I don't know, popular to talk about politically. Like right now, hierarchies are like really bad. They're they're bad in relationships. They're bad at work. They're bad in society. All bad. Right. You know? And it's like, yeah, I feel like it's bad. Like the... that well like I don't like I don't think hierarchies are always bad I don't think they're always bad at work I think it could be just like a norm a way to deviate uh to like not navigate yeah and to navigate a workplace it could be a way to like just help tasks get done efficiently it's like when like ego is so much a part of those things or if someone who's higher than the other person is being like a dickhead or talking Mm -hmm. down to them when it's not necessary right and just, like, mm-hmm. in the same way with, like, relationship structures, yeah, if you're just being, like, like mean or flaky to someone you're secondary with just because they're not your, like, primary person, then that's just, yeah, you're just being shitty. But, like, I think about, like, with the person I'm dating who's, like, who's not, like, who is primary like I have prioritized them in just these like little ways, like someone I went on two dates with before I scheduled the second date, I told them, okay, I need to talk to him first. I want to see like when he's available next week and schedule dates with him before I give you a time. Like, Mm -hmm. and he was like, okay, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and that was like in one way I was like putting, you know, the person I'm dating primarily first to say like they they come first. I want to make sure him and I have dates, and then and then we we come together. You know what I mean? But yeah. like he felt fine with that, and so it was fine. That's like what I'm saying is like if the if if the other person like has an issue with with it, it's like like you're communicating from where you're at. You're not like fucking them over, right? And I think that that's where, like, the hierarchy concept, like, is bad is if you're using it to, like, <laughs> like, you're prioritizing someone else, like, over them, over another person all the time. Or, like, you aren't considering the other person's, like, needs or wants or or time management or whatever, right? right. Like. And so if that's going to interfere with that, then, like, that's – I think that's more of a communication issue than, like, a structural thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that makes sense. 
I mean, I'm obviously still working around that too because, yeah. like, I love my my primary partner and, like, mm-hmm. also, like, want to spend as much time with her as I can. Right, right. <laughs> because I just love our connection so much. Yeah. But I never want, like, the the ways that I, like, love our connection to interfere with me making other connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I liked, like... I think it was like near the end when she was talking about when like closing a relationship can be useful and when mm-hmm. it's like not useful or whatever. Like I liked how she talked about like putting like a time on it or like it'll officially end this day and like deciding that before. But something about what you were just saying made me think about that. Even when it's not intentional, like I feel like like I feel like right now I'm like intentionally nurturing my primary connection. And I haven't said I'm not dating anyone else officially. And, like, I actually am probably going to go on a date next week. (laughs) But, like, you know what I mean? But it's, like, just, like, taking moments of, like, pause. Because I, like, really want to savor this and nurture this. And this is still really new. And so I, like, want to give it my full attention, you know? But then, I don't know. So then doing that intentionally, like, I felt like I was, like, not being super present with other people I was dating. So then mm-hmm. I like said that to them. Like, I feel like I'm not really being present in this mm-hmm. because I'm distracted and this other relationship is deepening and these things. So like, I got to stop dating you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, and I think that's a really important thing to be able to acknowledge within yourself mm-hmm. because it kind of goes back to like the fact that like, even if you're single, like, you're still poly. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Like, just because you have one partner, mm-hmm. just one partner right now doesn't mean that you're not still polyamorous. Right. Like, you can, and you don't have to be having lots of relationships at one time to still right. be polyamorous. Which is why I really loved how she talked about the S of hearts mm. as, like, your relationship with yourself as one of your relationships Mm -hmm. because it's really easy to get caught up in and immersed in other people's lives and happenings and Mm -hmm. connections that you like do end up sometimes losing yourself and in it and having to come back and be like okay I'm you know I'm not seeing other people right now because I'm trying to just focus on the relationship that I have with myself so that I can have enough like chutzpah yeah. to, <laughs> to you know like continue to make connections and like show up for other people and be present because being present is is a huge part of building relationships right and if you feel like you can't be doing that right now, then it's better to be able to communicate that than it is to give someone the short end of the stick. Yes, totally, totally. Yeah, and I think, and what we were just talking about reminded me of this too, like I feel like polyamory is also like a way of acknowledging that life is constant change, like life is change all the time. <laughs> It's like, yeah, sometimes you're dating four people. Sometimes you're dating one person. Sometimes you're dating two. Sometimes... Sometimes you're dating none. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also think 
it's like some of these things aren't about the book at all and are just about polyamory in general. But I also think polyamory has been really helpful for me in, how do I want to say this? Like, like having like, not, I don't want to say complicated, but having like more open conversations. Like I feel like because like communication and understanding someone else's boundaries and desires and sharing your own, there's like more of like a, like nothing is off the table, Mm -hmm. you know? So then there's like, I have really practiced, which I feel like I was practicing this before polyamory, but like really trying to be present and like open to like anything that's said Mm -hmm. and like not feeling like thrown off by anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is not to say that will like never happen (laughs) like again in my life. But I've like found that really helpful, you know, like, and I think about like in like previous monogamous relationships I had when I was younger, there were so many things that we like didn't share or were like little things that, oh my God, like, yeah, I like flirted with someone at the coffee shop. I can't tell my partner, you know, (laughs) or like, 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 or like I saw an ex or I, this happened. And even if it's not, sometimes it's not relational, but like, I can think Mm -hmm. of like ways that I would like not be completely open about professional success or professional goals. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't want them to think that I'm like not totally in this or blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. And I just, and I just feel like also in polyamory, there's so much more room for like people to be completely, I don't know, transparent and open about what they want in their life, what they're working on right now. And like, it's not like the moment you start dating, your entire world is now revolving around that person you're dating. Like you still have Mm -hmm. like, which is also just like, I think like help practicing like healthy, like autonomy. And (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the avoidant attachment as well. Is what? Is is making sure that you don't lose lose yourself and the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she says something, I think it's like toward the beginning, about how like relationships have a healthy sense, healthy sense of autonomy and connection, or like a healthy mix mm-hmm. of autonomy and connection. Um, let me try to find it. Okay, I can't find the exact part I was talking about, but she talks about how it's like the more like avoidant attached side, you're like so focused on autonomy and you're worried about anyone getting in the way of your autonomy. And then like the more anxious attached, you like the connection is the most important thing. And like all you're wanting is like the connection. And they talk about how Mm -hmm. like secure attachment is having a healthy level of both of those things, like both of those things existing in tandem to be autonomous while also having connection. But I can't find exactly how she wrote it, but I liked it. I think I remember which part you're talking about. Yeah. Cool. Is that your takeaway? Yeah. So, okay. So this is the part of the show. I actually forgot about this, the last book episode we did, but this is something I did like the whole like first five episodes is like, what is like the biggest takeaway from the book for you that is going to like, you feel like is going to continue impacting your life. now that you're finished reading it 
I think it's definitely the, like, hearts. Mm-hmm. The, just, like, having that outline of, like, being here with your person, express delight, attunement, rituals and routines, turning to each other after conflict, and secure attachment with self. Like, I'm going to take that with me with everything. Like, I think that's something that monogamous people should also be practicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, being able to, like, um, work toward being securely attached is just so hard Mm -hmm. but so huge and important and all of those elements are huge factors in like continuing to keep a connection with someone alive Mm -hmm. which is so core Mm -hmm. in your relationships in general and I'm thinking if I had if I had used this in some of my other relationships, like, would they have turned out differently? Like, would, if I had bit, like, spent more time or energy in one of these other areas, like, would the relationship have been able to flourish in other ways? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and being able to, like, kind of have that set of, like, ingredients, as she says, like, and, and bringing attention to that and intention... Mm-hmm. I think is so huge. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely what I'm going to take with me. That's a great one. I'm going to take that too. And I also think I am going to take what I just was saying that I couldn't find that it was written. <laughs> but I think especially as I like continue to practice, like um, continue to practice like earned secure attachment and being more securely attached and noticing the things that come up, like I said, like um, practicing like not losing sense of self in relationships and those things that are typically part of anxious attached, thinking about secure attachment and healthy relationships as, as something that holds both autonomy and like deep connection. And yeah, and and I also really liked everything she said about the idea of having attachment based relationships that are like intentionally attachment based. And I think this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this book like helped me feel empowered in like being able to like talk about that with people I was mm-hmm. dating and having that be something that's just like, um, what's the word I want? I mean, yeah, like a mutually decided upon thing, but something that you're like saying is happening. Right. Instead of like, is it happening? Are we attached? Are we doing this? Right. And bringing an intention to that too, I think is so key because it's, it's hard to like decide like when you're in the beginnings of like Mm -hmm. a relationship with someone or a connection if you, like, if this is something that would be a good attachment, like, attachment relationship. Right, right. Right, you definitely and, don't like, know right away. Yeah, and her also saying that, like, you can have meaningful relationships with people without being attached. Right. And I think that there's such a, like... um 
I don't know, people think that if you have casual relationships with someone that you don't have any emotional, like, (laughs) input or output and you're just fucking and leaving. And it's, like, it's not like that. Right. Like, you can, like, have, like, a caring and, like, communicative relationship with someone and still not be attached to them. Right. Totally. Totally. And I think about it with, like, friends. Like, I have so many friends, like that I have attachment-based relationships with. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I mean, just through that, I know that I am capable of having multiple attachment-based relationships. Exactly. You know, and that is something I thought about when you brought up the hierarchy thing Mm -hmm. about how it's like you have different, you have relationships that are just different, but one does not like, it's not better than the other Mm -hmm. or whatever. I thought about that with friendships. Yeah. Like, you're one yeah. of my soulmates. I think of you as a soulmate. Oh, yeah. I think of you as one of mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, like, it's secure. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. But also, like, we've put in a lot of work That's in communication a- with right. each other and, like, like, People think that, like, even friendship should just be, like, like, not every connection or relationship with someone is going to be easy. Like, shit is going to come up. You're going to have conflict with them. You're going to need to work, like, through it together, like, to sustain your connection. And I think that, like, that's so key and that people, like not to be like more polyamorous people think of relationships like that, but I think that they do. Mm -hmm. I think that like the ways that poly people end up nurturing their like partnerships, they also nurture their friendships in that same way because they understand that like at its core, it's like we're, we're, we have a relationship. Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. some kind of relationship with each other that we want to sustain and protect and nurture. Right. And, all of these things come into play with that too. Just because you're not like having sex with like all of your friends doesn't mean that you don't don't or can't have like an attachment with them. Right. Totally. Yeah, I have I I don't think it's either or either like the polyamorous are always better, but yeah, I have noticed so far they are it, it is easier to talk about feelings. There's more of like a oh, you're having a feeling about something? Yeah, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. you know <laughs> but yeah I yeah I think you and I have gotten really good at our relationship and talking about things and I honestly feel like we're the strongest we've ever been I really feel that way I feel that way too <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's a great place to end how about you I think so too um why don't you tell people where they can find you I don't know if you already oh, did yeah. that in the beginning I didn't do that, but I will now. Um, yeah, so I've been Elizabeth Harris. I also go by Fig. You can find me everywhere on at Fig New Tunes, F-I-G-N-E-W-T-U-N-E-S. Um, my website is FigNewTunes.com. My Instagram, you can find me on Pinterest. Everything that you would need to find me on is at Fig New Tunes. So. Yay. And Elizabeth has a new album out called Soft Animal. Yes, I do. Did you already say that? And it's, I did not. <laughs> so my album Soft Animal is out now, yeah. and it's actually all about 
trauma and healing. So if you like some of the stuff we talked about today, maybe you'll like some of the things I sing about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's on Spotify. It's on Spotify, it's on Tidal, Apple Music, and SoundCloud, and Bandcamp. Perfect. So many places. You have no excuse but to listen. None. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. I love you so much. Thanks. I love you too. Wow. What a beautiful show. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I want to thank Elizabeth Harris for being our guest. I want to thank Coley Pizzoli for editing the sound. I want to thank Samantha Grace for writing the theme song for this podcast. I want to thank Noelle Richard for doing the illustration on the cover art. I want to thank Lauren McAndrews for doing the design and branding design around Queer Discourse. I want to thank Bex Mui for doing the ad for the House of Our Queer book. And I want to thank Jessica Fern, because without them, we would not have a show today. And last but not least, not least, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening this far in listening to the show and supporting. If you're interested in potentially being on the show, I have a Google form in my link tree on my Instagram. My Instagram is at Lou the Barrett. That's L-O-U-T-H-E-B is in Bravo, A-R-R-E-T-T. I would love a follow and you can fill out that Google form and we'll talk more. Again, Thank you so much. If you're listening to this in Pride Month, happy Pride Month, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Let's talk it out now. Let's talk it out now.